And and go. Welcome back to the Shock Resolver podcast. Uh, it's been <laughs> wonderful to have you along with us. Oh dear! <laughs> thanks, thanks, for the, thanks for that intro, Stu. Uh, you can start with the cultural artifact. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, um, it's good to see you, Joel. One of our fa- yeah, it's good to have you on on the podcast as well, Stu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I, I've got a cultural artifact. Yep. Uh, uh, one of my favorite bands. One of your favorite. One of my bands. favorite bands. Yeah. Uh, ACDC. Yes. Any yes. reason why you brought that up? Or you just kept wanting to play Let There Be Rock? Well, let, well let's let the listeners decide. Yeah, we don't, not too long. We'll get a copyright strike. Okay. <laughs> not much better rock than that. I don't think so. I don't think so. Let There Be Rock from 1979. A mm-hmm. um, little bit sacrilegious. <laughs> but the, the video <laughs> clip. But the video clip, yep. yes. Tell us about the video clip. No, you tell us about oh, it. Oh, the video this clip. It's your choice. Yes, it's my choice. It's in a church. So the video clip is shot in a <laughs> church, and that's a gratuitous moment where the artifact had nothing to do with anything we're going to speak about other than the fact that the band plays in a church which gets me to ask the question why would you go to church oh well done did you like that well <laughs> done quite a segue that's a very good segue <laughs> i think uh, a story about that is they did film in a church and then bon scott the lead singer jumps over right at the end of the film clip jumps down from the pulpit yes and he injured his ankle <gasps> doing it did and they didn't know he was going to do it Ah, anyway, did fun. they film him? I don't remember that part. Yeah, of the film it's clip. in the film clip. And he hurt his ankle. Yep, probably serves himself right. Could have been maybe one of the earliest examples of stage diving. Oh, possibly. I, I wonder where stage diving. diving start. Yeah, that's what I was just wondering. Let's Google it and see what ChatGPT says. Welcome, Tim, to the podcast as well. <laughs> Hi, good to be here. Listening to you two <laughs> talk about ACDC. It's great. Wax lyrical. I'd really like Wax to know lyrical. if anybody's listening or watching likes ACDC. By the way. Yep. Put your favourite ACDC song in the comments. Yes, that would be excellent. What is your favourite ACDC song? Um, That's a tough one. Probably the first one I ever heard. Which was? TNT. Yeah, TNT is up there. I, think. I like that. And Long Rock to the Top, also Long up there. Long to the Top, yep. Back in Black, also good. Are you more of a Bon Scott guy or a Brian Johnson guy? Bon Scott. Yep, me too. Much more... Yeah, much mm. more. But I don't want. I think Brian. I think Brian's great. He's brought his own own thing to the whole thing. Mm. But I think Bon is probably my. Yeah, favorite. I He's think Bon sounds great. Still number one for me. Have you found out when stage, stage diving. diving started? Well, according to Wikipedia, long before the word was invented, public stage diving took place during the first Dutch concert by the Rolling Stones in oh. 1964. Oh, okay. okay they we'll they give definitively it say that that is the first stage dive. I think if someone dive, jumped off a stage, that's a stage dive. Yeah. So whether it, it exists prior to that is not clear. I wonder if they did it the in Shakespeare's time. Yeah, I don't know. At the Globe Theatre. I wonder if anybody got excited in a Hamlet play and just jumped into the crowd <laughs> in the mosh pit. Yeah. <laughs> definitely right. mosh. Have you ever been tempted to do that at church? <laughs> yes. <laughs> preaching a sermon? I'm sure no, not, not, not while have I'm you preaching. Staged, have you stage dive at youth or anything like yes, that? Yes, stage dive. I, I don't times. think I have done that. I'm a little heavy to stage dive now, but in my <laughs> lighter days. <laughs> okay. I wouldn't do it to anyone now. Mm. Apparently Peter Gabriel of Genesis... Yes. Uh, Broke his ankle doing a stage dive mm. in 1971. Yeah, right. What about moshing? When did that start? 
We're really getting Crowd into surfing. the let's have a look to the particulars of uh, rock and roll audiences, aren't we? Well, yeah. yeah, I'm sure this is riveting. For well, it's it's are. relevant for what we're talking about today because I think when you're at a rock concert or you're at a concert and you're enjoying yourself, that there is a sense of community and a sense of something going on amongst everybody experience something that you could stay home and listen to on a record player or on a on iTunes or or whatever you could listen to the music in your car but you choose to go to a a place to listen to a live band together with everyone else why do people do that why do you experience interesting question why do you want to experience it together why do you want to see it as well it's interesting that you brought up that in regards to ACDC because we went and saw ACDC we did at uh, the Olympic Stadium in yes, Redbush, and packed. I was—it was packed. But I was a little bit disappointed that everyone was just standing there watching. They just watched. It was it. interesting. Mm. Yeah, it was actually a letdown too. I didn't feel as as excited as it could have been. I think. Mm. Mm. Whereas I just also showed you a band that I love called The Hives, that they released a, a live show online about a week ago, yep. and it was in Belgium but it was it was a rocking gig yeah like the yeah. crowd were way into it yeah they're the best experiences when you go to see a band I think yeah I think I think the video of the most amazing crowd experience I've ever seen is probably from Woodstock 99 <laughs> and they ripped the whole place to shreds and th- there was like 5,000 people and I reckon that's how big the mosh was it was amazing I can't remember what the band was I think it was for the Limp Biscuit probably Limp Biscuit and, that's, and that's I think they said just destroy started. stuff and then they turned and yeah. Yeah. and it was Red Hot Chili Peppers they started setting fire to things so they handed Did they? Uh, candles oh yeah that's yeah. right because yeah. they were saying let's have our Woodstock moment so let's yeah, hand out candles in remembrance of something I don't know yeah, what they were remembering and they burnt you know, the place down yeah, hippie and sit yeah. here and be really reflective and the band went nut. Oh, sorry, the crowd went yeah, nut. We're just going to yeah. set fire to things instead. It was 1999. Have you seen the footage, uh, I think it's from 1990 or 91, at the Toshino Airfield in Moscow? No. no. When they have the... Uh, when the uh, communist regime fell... Yes. They decided, they said, like, what do you want? And the kids said, oh, we want a big rock concert. Mm-hmm. That's what it was pitched as. And Metallica and ACDC played it. And they reckon <laughs> there was over a million people at the a airfield. A million yeah, people. It's insane how many people are there. Wow. Yeah. And there's also been, I've seen like big rock in Rio's where like the rock Rolling Stones are playing in front of 300,000 people. Yeah, right. But a That'd bit of the cool. Rolling Stones probably aren't as much of a mosh band, I would say. No. But no. they had the first instance of stage diving. They, right? they did. There they you did. go. Apparently, yeah. mm. moshing, uh, you can predate moshing to the pogo, which was the 19, yes. very 1970s English punk rock scene. Yes. Uh, and then it developing into moshing during the 1980s uh, hardcore scene around Washington, D.C., Boston, and New York. Okay, there you go. Uh, and as well as California hardcore punk scene in Huntington Beach. Oh, there you go. So there you go. Cool. Interesting. Cool. Well, we, as you said, we're going to talk about. Why would you even go to church? Yes. To mosh. Uh, to mosh. Mm. Maybe one of the reasons you want to go. <clears throat> but uh, the reason that we um, we did talk about it a couple of weeks ago with Tim and Brayden, but Stu, we want to get your thoughts on it. And uh, Tim, you had quite a few, a number of quotes there about going to church or why you would go to church. And I thought, let's see if we can get Stu's reaction to that for a cold cold reaction. Is that what we call <laughs> it? Cold open? Cold, cold reaction to hearing those those quotes, and then we'll we'll see what comes out of that. Cool. Have you got, have you got in there, Tim? Yeah, I've got a few here. So uh, Joseph Hellerman is one who I use a lot in my lectures. Uh, so he wrote a book called When Church Was Community. And this he's got a couple of quotes here. I'll just read a couple, and then we'll get Stu's reaction. So he says, According to the New Testament, a person is saved to community. 
To follow Jesus meant to join Jesus' community. The thought that one could somehow acquire a personal relationship with God outside the faith family and remain a quote-unquote unchurched Christian was simply inconceivable to those whose lives had been defined from birth by the groups to which they belonged. An individualistic culture encourages us to assume that God's main goal in the history of humanity consists of getting individual people saved. Uh, But we are not saved only to enjoy a personal relationship with God. We are saved to community. We are saved to God's group. Hmm. So there's Hellman. What do you reckon? Yeah, interesting. Sounds like a reaction to the increasingly individualised society that we belong to, Mm. where we view everything through the lens of ourselves rather than the community we belong to. Mm. That has a really long heritage in the Western mindset going all the way back to Descartes. Because I think before the uh, modern philosophical movement of the Enlightenment that Descartes kind of got going, uh, people would have seen themselves and their identity as a part of the group that they belong to. So if I lived in a Catholic home, I would be Catholic. And if I lived in a Protestant home, I'd be Protestant. If I was living in the village, I would consider myself part of that uh, people group. So that changed radically during the Industrial Revolution when there was a lot of social dislocation through migration as everyone moved around a lot to the cities and people moving to the cities uh, began being more connected to uh, technology than the environment. And so as a result, uh, the increasing individualism took off uh that early day days of the enlightenment could be called uh technocracy where technology begins to be a big part of everybody's lives and then it gives way in later times in our time to technopoly 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 is the word sorry i didn't get that right straight away technopoly is a phrase used by sociologists to describe how uh, technology actually comes to dominate society, not just be uh, an important part of deci- uh, the society. So I think that comment is sort of framing the fact that the world we live in today is different to the world of Jesus and the Bible uh, writers. Uh, the other thing I think is it could be a, a corrective to uh, our evangelism from with the the, um, move, the evangelical movement because there's a lot of... Um, substance and weight put on the individual conversion experience so going right back to the great awakenings of the the you know the um 18th and 19th century you get whitfield and wesley going around uh, calling people to make a personal response to faith Uh, that came from the reformation where obviously luther said it's important for us all to have a personal faith so the idea of having a personal faith kind of also gives room for Descartes, who comes later, who's thinking, uh, how do we reorganise society around more individualistic means? And also, the other reason he did that was because the the Reformation created a lot of wars, particularly 30 Years' War, mm. and so much blood was shed that Europeans were saying, can we organise ourselves a bit differently to this idea that we're all born in a village and we, we're just part of the group? And the story goes that apparently he he crawled into an oven or a fireplace that was obviously not lit and he stayed there thinking and he had this amazing thought i think therefore i am and i think what was interesting is once upon a time people would say i am therefore i think 
and I am because I'm part of this community. So there are, I think, from this community. And Descartes says, let's liberate people from that thinking. Let's have this more individualistic worldview where I think, therefore I am, which was a statement of uh, my own identity comes from me and I'm the centre of my reality, not my community. And so, funnily enough, these forces are all sort of surging along over the next 100 years Mm. or so, 200 years, until you get this individualistic preaching to people saying, uh, it's not enough to say you're a Christian just because your family was Christian and they had you christened when you were a baby. You actually need to make a profession of faith for yourself to be a Christian. And so there's that carried right through, particularly in the Great Awakenings, influenced a lot of future American evangelism. And so a lot of the Billy Graham Crusades, a lot of the, uh, the Jesus movement in the 1960s, there was this big sense of you need a personal relationship with Jesus uh, the Jesus movement used to say Jesus is my best friend kind of thing. So there's this kind of like really strong connection in their minds too with the Holy Spirit and a, an experienced religion rather than just a philosophical idea. And so all of that sort of combines. But then I think what we get in the 90s, 80s, 90s and 2000s is people have been preaching this individualistic uh, message that you need to become a Christian. People are starting to wonder if people are connecting their conversion with the life they have, the new life they have in Christ. Uh, There's a bit of a criticism about individualistic preaching, about becoming a Christian, that it might give people the impression that you become a Christian and then you just wait to go to heaven and you don't really do much between then and now, just live a good life sort of thing. And and maybe particularly in America and Australia and England in countries where attendances are starting to go down and there's also people deconstructing their faith and starting to say, do I really need to go to church? There's been uh, a thought in many uh, thinkers' minds about how about we again remind people that yes, you become a Christian as a person, as an individual, but you also... Uh, reconciled to God and reconciled to your brothers and sisters. So Ephesians is really prominent in my thinking around that, that Paul says in, in the first section of uh, Ephesians that you know Christ has uh, redeemed us. He's uh, given us this new status as brothers and sisters. He's made us come alive when we were dead in our sin and transgression. And he's reconciled us to God when we were enemies of God in our heart. And he's also reconciled us to each other so chapter two and three there's really interesting so i think personally that's where that mm. might be coming from mm. Mm. any questions after oh no questions well i was just thinking that for both the reformers um and also yeah billy graham crusade both of those eras you have um preachers teachers who are trying to help shift people away from thinking I'm a Christian because I'm in a Christian nation. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so part of the call to personal you know, salvation, personal identity, personal relationship with Jesus yeah. was a corrective against, oh, I, I guess I'm a Christian because I'm in a Christian nation. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And so it's like, well, that is not enough. Like actually you, you do need to be personally uh, caught up into this salvation event. You do have to personally respond to the invitation to Jesus to join mm, the banquet, to right. accept his forgiveness, his salvation, his death on the cross, the atonement. And, and there needs to be uh, a emphasis on you as an individual doing that. And so it's not that that message is, is wrong. Uh, it's that you, you end up with these swings back and forth of overemphasis. And I think what has particularly happened, as he says to you from... Um, Billy Graham's emphasis there to particularly a, a Western 
um, Christendom, sort of the end of Christendom, I suppose you could say, in the West, as he goes to predominantly America, but also UK, Australia, other English-speaking countries, is it's not enough to be part of a Christian country. You do need to take this on for yourself. What we've seen in the last few decades is also that rapid rise of individualism um, in a negative way where the world is just about me. I define yeah. my own morality. I define my own identity. So it's this extreme version of Descartes, this extreme version yeah. um, of you know, this self-centred um, identity uh, which then individuates the gospel to a point where we sort of uh, said last week or two weeks ago that idea that, you know, well, I don't need the church. I can be an individual Christian because the only thing that matters, uh, which is a misreading of um, Luther, misreading of Calvin, and um, uh, yeah, is that um, it's only my individual relationship with Jesus that matters. And yeah. therefore... I can be a fully formed disciple of Jesus simply by myself. Um, I can read the Bible by myself. I can listen to whatever praise music I want to on my iPhone. Um, and so, yeah, with a podcast sermon and a Spotify playlist uh, and the Bible, that's all that I need to be a disciple of Jesus. And so now we've got these uh, next sort of swing back writers like Joseph Hellerman, and we'll talk about um, Robert Doyle and... John Chapman as well, who are trying to say, well, hold on, no, no, now you've swung it way too far out the other way, uh, where you've lost any sense of the importance of corporate identity uh, in the Christian life. Well, we've talked about kind of the correctives, which is a really interesting way. It's interesting how society corrects mm. itself, but then often overcorrects itself yep, in certain, right. certain ways. What do you think is, like, what's in the middle of the pendulum? What, what would be ideal in terms of a balance between that kind of individualism, which is important, as we said, the individualist, individual faith is very important, but also the collective faith and the collective body of Christ is really important. So what do you think is the middle part of that? I think it's holding both intention and doing yeah. both and rather than either or. I think it's you are saved by faith, by grace alone as an individual, and you're also uh, reborn as a new creation into a new family. So I think both those things happen i think what happens with christianity is unfortunately sometimes we can syncretize our christian movement with the times we live in mm. so if we live in particularly individualistic times then we can tend towards individualism okay. if we live in a particularly corporate uh, time we can tend towards corporatism so the middle ages was more of a corporate feudal system where everybody was kind of like okay i'm this because i'm this i mean the interesting way that England was uh, evangelized was that the king was converted and then he's like okay we're all Christian now and now was everyone Christian the day after the king became Christian well you know obviously that that would be a podcast in, in itself but that's literally how people were converted he, the king's wife uh, had some priests come over from Italy and they came and he saw the danger of these Christian priests maybe taking away the Anglo-Saxon paganism, uh, but he, and, and the influence of all the Viking gods and all that kind of stuff, but he, um, the Anglo, first Anglo-Saxon king uh, to become a Christian's wife, uh, he, he built her a chapel in Cambridge and said, these guys can come from Italy, but they're not allowed to go anywhere else. They're, they're just allowed to stay there and minister <laughs> to you because his wife was a Christian, right? So anyway, she prayed for a husband and these priests converted her husband. And then so the husband said, right, now as Anglo-Saxons, 
in England we're Christian. Mm. And so that's kind of how it happened. So, And you see that all through all the, the Princetons... Princedoms of Germany, you know, yeah. When, when Luther first started, yeah. you know, a, a prince becomes a Lutheran. He goes, "All right, we're all Lutherans now." Yeah, we're Protestants. Yep. Oh, okay. Yep. Oh, I guess yep. we're Lutherans now. And yeah, the guy goes, "No, we're Catholic again." <laughs> oh, okay, we're Catholics yeah. now. And yeah. you just yeah. kind of whatever the prince was, that's what you that's were. That's right. That's right. So that 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 collectivism actually caused the wars because the way to stop um, a country from being Protestant was to send a Catholic army to conquer the con- country, dispossess the queen, take. Queen Elizabeth the first out of the way and then the mm. country will go back to Catholicism. And so that's where the walls were all coming in because also politics and religion were so tightly mm. yep. immersed by then. But um, I mean, the first missionaries to go to Germany from England to preach the gospel in Germany, you mean, mentioned Germany, the funny story there that they used to carry a Bible and an ax with them and they'd go into a town and the German uh, town would have a big tree in the middle of the courtyard, which was their sacred tree. And the missionary would go in and chop the tree down and then everyone would get really angry and they'd threaten to kill the, the missionary. And the missionary would say, well, if your tree's so powerful, why didn't the tree destroy me? My God's more powerful than, than this tree. And then people would become Christians and then there was one town and then they go to the next town and do the same thing. Right. It's fascinating. Yeah, I'm not advocating that form of missionary <laughs> endeavour. But um, yeah, it's that collectivism that causes that kind of, re- cause that kind of response, yeah. So in our day and age, it's so individualistic. It makes sense to us to have an individualistic decision if we're going to make a decision for Christ. And it seems ludicrous to think that I'm a Christian because I live in a Christian country or whatever now. Mm. But actually not that long ago in Australia, most Australians would have called themselves Christians because they lived in Australia because they considered themselves Christian because they went to church and they but even in the Jesus movement Keith Green used to say going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger (laughs) so he was still preaching against that collectivism in the 1970s early 1970s when he was about his ministry too so yeah so I think that sort of comment is about correcting that the overemphasis on collectivism and we're probably in an age where we kind of need to do that i've often mused about that with soul revival too our ministry soul revival i've spent most of my ministry encouraging christians to be committed to christ but also to be committed to their local church Um, i was convinced of knox robinson theories and and ideas when i was a young christian leader and we could talk about that later in the podcast but um they said you know to actually uh, their view of church was to be committed to the gathering of the of the church rather than saying that you're just part of the established church the building isn't the church it's only the church when you gather together as a group and that comes from the word ecclesia which means gathering so you can have a gathering or an ecclesia at shark park to watch the football or you can have an ecclesia or a gathering that meets in a church and the only difference between the two is that jesus goes to one and not the other (laughs) so you can only gather with jesus when you gather together in the church because he says when two or three gather together in my name that is one so from an early stage i've been really influenced by those kind of ideas and i think to myself well i've spent a lot of time encouraging individualistic westerners who are predominantly anglo celtic from their ethnic tradition to consider that it's important to be committed to their local church as well as be committed to god because a lot of people have actually railed against that and said what well no no being a christian is just being committed to god Mm. there's nothing in the bible to say we should be committed to each other as well i'm like oh hello i think there is so but i think to myself if i was uh, ministering in the middle ages i might have spent a lot of time trying to encourage people to make an individual commitment so in in our lifetime we've also been trying to correct um Mm. hyper individualism within the church 
Oh, speaking of that hyper individualism, Tim, you found an article from Christianity Today, today, sorry, by Miles Wernz, and in the opening paragraph, he talks about uh, dechurching and deconstructionism is actually a result of he thinks a deeper problem that they're missing, and he says an anemic church theology taught and modelled to churchgoers. So, and then he's saying the call to dechurching may in fact be coming from inside the building. When you like you sent that to us a few weeks away. Why, why did you send that to us and do you agree with what um, Miles Wurtz is, is saying there? Yeah, so essentially his argument, I mean, I, I sent it to you because it, I think it came out the day after we recorded our <laughs> previous conversation, so it was in my, fresh in my mind. The, his argument is essentially that um, we have overemphasised the individualism or, or the individual side of salvation which is yes we do need to take seriously that it is a personal relationship mm. and that we are personally responsible for how whether we accept or reject the invitation to join the kingdom so that, that is absolutely true so what he's reflecting on particularly in american evangelicalism which has overemphasized that and therefore devalued the coming together as a church and if you do come to church it's just a nice little bonus add-on it's not an essential part of your faith and so he's then, well, then don't be surprised if people uh, shirk off the bit that you have said is not really all that important anyway. Um, if it's just a, a nice bonus, but it's not essential, then, you know, don't be surprised when people leave that behind. Um, and so part of the, um, the de-churching movement or the, uh, some aspects of deconstruction uh, movement is about why well, I don't need the structures, I don't need the um, organisation, I don't need the community in order to be a Christian. You've told me that the whole time. you told me it's just about a personal relationship with Jesus. So therefore, when the structures are, in my perspective, hindering my faith rather than helping my faith, then it's no loss to me to leave that structure, to leave that gathering and that group, because all the time you've been telling me that it's just about a personal relationship with Jesus and that this just happens to be a nice social club. Uh, so uh, you can absolutely be a fan of the Cronulla Sharks and just watch the games in your home. Uh, it's a nice bonus if you manage to make it to Shark Park and be in the midst of other people, but it's not essential. You're still a fan. Um, same with music. I can be a fan of ACDC and I can love it in my car and I can love it at my stereo at home. I uh, might even share it with a couple of my friends. I don't have to have gone to a concert in order to and share that experience with others uh, in order to uh, be a fan. And actually, when I go to a concert, it's lovely atmosphere, but all it is is me as an individual ACDC fan experiencing this in the context of others who I don't actually know I don't really care about. I probably would never ever see again. Uh, I have no relationship with. And for a number of people, church is the same as well. So when you go to church, I'm a personal disciple of Jesus. This person here is a personal disciple of Jesus. We both enjoy this particular space. But once we leave this room, I actually don't know who that person is. I don't have any particular attachment to them. There's no uh, formal connection to them in any way. If I like them, great. If I don't, no no harm no foul it doesn't really matter because all church was for me was a nice added bonus to what is core which is my personal relationship with jesus and so he's reacting to this that kind of a message and saying well then don't be surprised when people stop coming um, if there's a cost to it if it's a time thing if for some reason uh, you, church makes you 
um, you know, anxious or uh, you've been hurt by the church and not to you know, downplay those or dismiss those that can be realities for people. But if all I've been told is, is just an individual thing and this, this is a nice cherry on the side, then I can leave that behind and I've lost nothing about being a Christian. So again, this article, um, same with Hellerman and, and others, so sort of saying, no, 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 we've, by overemphasizing the individual aspect, we've lost what is actually core and critical to life together. And he quotes Bonhoeffer and Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together, and this idea that, no, no, the cultural and community expression of Christianity is not an added bonus. It's not uh, being able to get to an ACDC concert as a personal fan, that it's nice if you do, doesn't matter if you don't. So no, 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 it's actually central to who God has made us to be. Mm. And uh, you cannot be a fully formed disciple of Jesus unless you are in some sort of gathered community. And so that's why he talks about the anemic gospel is uh, it's been stripped out of some really, really core parts. Um, there's still just enough lifeline in there of the gospel, but actually being, it's, it's not full flesh. It's not full-bodied expression of the gospel. And we need to bring back into people's consciousness the fact that, yep, personal relationship, absolutely. Corporate expression, being able to live out in embodied reality, the community, also equally part of what it means to be a Christian. And in that article, as you're saying, he quotes another writer, Daniel Williams, who says that one of the reasons that happened is the anemic theology, but also is accompanied by a weak ecclesiology. Mm. Did you agree with that, Stu? And um, the first thing I'd ask you, though, is can you explain what ecclesiology means? Because I'm probably not heaps familiar on what it is. Yeah, ecclesiology is just the teaching of uh, theological doctrines of the church. Mm -hmm. So how does the Bible talk about church? Okay. So... The writings of Paul, he talks about church like being like a family or like a body, like a, they're all ecclesial languages, um, being like a spiritual house being built together with Christ as a cornerstone. That's another ecclesial category. So, yeah, ecclesiology is just um, the ecclesia is the gathering, which I said mm. the Greek word for gathering is ecclesia. And, and the specialness of the Christian ecclesia is Jesus is with us and he's the head of everything we do. So you notice in all the ecclesial languages, there's Jesus is the head. Jesus is the head of the body. Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. He's the bridegroom. We're the bride. Um, yeah, so the family. God is the is our heavenly father. Jesus is our brother. There's that sort of language coming through. Mm. And so do you agree with that? Uh, Daniel Williams was his name, that it's a company, there's the anemic theology, but possibly a weak ecclesiology. Yeah, well, two well. things. First of all, I think what was also going on with, some of the preaching about have an individual relationship with Christ was not only a carryover from collectivism, it was also a carryover from nominalism. So collectivism creates nominalism. So collectivism is I am a Christian because I'm in this family or I'm in this society or I'm in this country, but I haven't made a personal commitment to Christ and I don't live as a, as a, as a Christian. I just call myself that. And that, that, that flows into what's called nominalism. So I'm a nominal Christian. I go to church because it's culturally the thing to do. So, uh, you know, talking to some of the ministers who ministered to people in the 1950s and 60s in Australia, they, the ministers and preachers in those times used to preach to their congregation sometimes as though they weren't Christian. 
because it was actually possible to have people on your parish council who weren't actually in the Anglican system who weren't actually Christian because mm. they were elected on by a whole heap of nominal people because they were popular or they were respected, but they might not actually have a faith. And in fact, some ministers weren't Christians who were preaching week to week and the stories of ministers being converted uh, by their own sermons and things like this. So I think when, when um, uh, Larry, uh, sorry, Keith Green says, uh, going to church doesn't make you a hamburger, he's encouraging people to be a hamburger. So I think the, the, the logic of that is you think you're a Christian you're just a nominal Christian going to church, but you're not actually Christian unless you've actually asked Christ to be your personal saviour. But I think what went wrong there was instead of saying you have to ask Christ to be your personal saviour and then become part of the, the family of God, maybe the preaching was just at the corrective level, not at the the carrying forward the good things about being part of the community. So I think there's this sense that preaching against nominalism is preaching against uh, an anemic ecclesiology as well because it's, it's a bit anemic to say that we're being church with people who aren't Christians in positions of ministry, for example. Like what gets us to belong in the, in the church is not whether we feel like it or whether we connect with it. It's actually Christ who makes us belong. So it's his work on the cross that makes us belong in the church. So you don't belong unless you're a Christian. So you have an anemic ecclesiology if you're not actually a Christian and you're going to church Mm. and pretending to be a Christian, sort of play acting. Uh, The other part of it too is, I think, some of the styles of church that were, were designed to try and attract people back to church after they started leaving in the 60s were a bit anemic too in the eyes of some people because uh, uh, some people created church like an event, as Tim was saying, that for some people, if the music is the most important part of the church service, then you get a whole heap of people coming along and singing and relating to each other symbolically for an hour, but then actually not carrying one another's burdens. They're not actually building one another up beyond the stylistic one-hour service on the weekend. How much are they living their life together and how much are they sharing their lives together? And there was an old saying in the 90s, we should be doing life together because the Gen X response to that anemic ecclesiology was we need community and Sorrow was a part of that. We need to express the community that we've been given more than just going to church for an hour a week. So uh, that that was um, kind of one of the things that have kind of led to that. But on the other side, without churches that are starting to dive deeper into community, the other response is deconstruction where people say, well, all this, you know, weak ecclesiology is making me question my faith so some christians go all the way back to go we need to deconstruct our faith to see what being a christian was in the first place but some of us didn't do that some of us just went well let's just go deeper into into community i think that was the more logical response to anemic ecclesiology personally but rather than to to do the other but yeah i think i think that's where it comes from from my mind that's interesting because we've been talking i think even last week or last two episodes ago when Braden was on, Tim, that um, working together in community, because our society seems to be becoming more and more individualistic, that uh, having a strong community at church might be an attractive proposition mm. to people. And then I was just wondering, if someone says, maybe even if a Christian says, I don't need to go to church because I just have this, uh, my personal faith and that's all that matters, what would your answer be to that in terms of if someone said that to you? Yeah, I'd want to ask a few more questions. I'd like to know what they think mm. church is, how they define church, and 
if someone was expressing that, I imagine that they would probably describe church more in that event type way, uh, that this is what it is. And so therefore it's secondary and supplementary, but not essential. Um, and, but yeah, so I'd be curious about that. I'd be curious about what do they think, um, what, does it, what does it mean to be a Christian? What do they think that means? What does it look like? What should be the outcomes and expressions of that? Uh, and see, yeah, what, uh, what they wanted to say there. Um, so we'd love to find out a bit more about their thoughts and then if they were willing to then open the Bible together and start to explore some of that corporate language that is assumed, yeah, some of that ecclesiological language about body, about family, about friendship, about being a household together, mm. um, about what it was like for the early church to meet together, the, the priorities that they put into um, their faith, like when they became disciples, what did they do? Their instinct was to come together and to celebrate that and to uni- be united together. Um, Ephesians, like Stu said, and Ephesians is really good because it talks about the, the differences. It, he, he's got a Jewish audience and a Gentile audience as he writes and he says the, one of the key messages of Ephesians is that God has knitted these two together, which historically was a massive thing because the Jews mm. and the Gentiles were so distinct ethnically, religiously, and then relationally. So you weren't allowed to have Gentiles come and eat in your house and eat your meals. Yeah, they didn't even have dinner together. No. So imagine no. trying to have a friendship with someone and you couldn't have a pizza. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, all the food rules around uh, the Jewish life and the Torah uh, excluded them from a lot of the meals that they were having. And yet Ephesians is written to say, you are now one. These two that were separated have now mm. become one, and it's all because of Jesus. And this is actually a proclamation out into both the physical but also the spiritual world in Ephesians 4, 3, 3 or 4. And he says this is the, the declaration out into um, the cosmos of God's great reconciling act is that you've been reconciled together. And so all of this, there is this deep uh, part of what it actually means to be a Christian that is deeply corporate and it's not accidentally corporate because it's just reflecting an ancient Near East first century language. You mm. could say, oh, well, that, that just happened to be how you did it 2,000 years ago. We don't have to do it today. Mm. Uh, but actually a deep reading of it realises that, no, God's not just, they're not just describing what was actually happened to be the case, but that's just an accident of history. They're actually prescribing this is what it actually looks like to be an all-time and forever member of a covenant community. And so you are part of this. So, yeah, that, I'd, I'd hope that that's where the conversation kind of went with someone who was asking those questions. Did you have a similar response to you or say, say something different? Yeah, if I think... Sorry, th- if someone wants to say, oh, I just, I don't need to go to church. Yeah, I think it's also a bit of a Christian cringe factor. I don't know if we've talked about that before, but a Christian cringe factor is... A cringe factor is, oh, the world sees it negatively, so I'm feeling quite embarrassed about that and I don't think I can actually talk positively about it. Uh, so they used to talk about the fact that Australia had a cringe towards England, that um, anything good came from England, not Australia, and if you needed to make it in art or poetry or literature or academia, you needed to go to England to become successful and then you'd come back as a successful artist or poet or whatever when the English accepted you. I think that was a kind of pre-war um, situation that kind of had a bit of a lag after the war, but as we became more culturally connected with America, we get a cultural cringe towards America. Now, 
what started to break that down was the success of Australian rock and roll music actually in popular culture uh, in America. So it actually gave us a bit of confidence. And funnily enough, some political scientists point to the victory of the America's Cup as the first time Australians went, actually, we've got a, a boat race with America and they never lose and they always win these boat races. And we've put an Australian boat in and it beats them. And then when they raised the boat up out of the water, it had a special winged keel that no one else had thought about before. So Australian technology beat American technology. And apparently that gave us a huge moment of confidence, huge boost. I think another boost was at the Olympics, the 2000 Olympics. Australia actually went, wow, we can put on a great Olympics. We've done a really good job. Especially so when we beat them in the 4 by 100 relay in the swimming. That's mm -hmm. right, yeah. Especially and and look, you know, you watch, you watch the swimmers in the last meet uh, for the World Championships and we were just scooping the pool. I think we beat America in the Swimming World Champions and were first in the world or something. They hardly put it on TV, but it was quite amazing. So I think with Christianity, there's a bit of a cringe towards, oh, if, if we think the action's in the world and not in the church then the church kind of does this kind of daggy copy of the world and so it's never really as cool. But I've got a bit of a theory. I think this is my prediction and it may or may not come true but this is what my prediction is. I think the church in our culture is going to go from being daggy, well it already has, the church has already gone from being daggy to dangerous but I think it's going to turn from being dangerous to desirable and then from desirable to delightful. So the further our culture gets away from our Christian roots, the more problems I think are going to occur and people are going to look for solutions to those problems and they're going to find again that the, that, that the Christian church has answers to those. One of those is rampant rates of individualism has led to the fastest growing household in Australia today is people living alone. And that has coincided with a, a new epidemic and it's not COVID, the epidemic that we're living through is loneliness. So there is this huge amount of loneliness in our culture. So one of the things that the Christian church is going to be offered to people is a solution to loneliness. First of all, to realise that your God actually knows who you are. There is a God, he knows who you are, he loves you and he wants you in a relationship with him is amazing good news for a lonely person and then to know that once you become connected to christ you become connected to his church those two things are intimately connected and so that's my prediction from daggy to dangerous to desirable to delightful i wow. think that's how the church will will go and that kind of feeds back into the thing of saying that it could be an attractive proposition because we've gone Society has gone so far the other way away from it. Yeah, I was reading, a and just before you go on, yeah. but that's why I don't like deconstruction because we shouldn't oh. lose our, lose our nerve while the culture is losing its like its its, its approval of us. Yeah, yeah, we've just got to stand in the truth of the gospel and express it as best we can until people see that again. So we continue to preach, and I think eventually. The tide has gone out at the moment for the Christian church in Australia with secularism, but I think it's going to come back in again. That's interesting because I was reading an article by a, a woman called Louise Perry and it's, she's kind of um, not a Christian, but she's similar to uh, Tom, Holland. Tom Holland. Right, yeah. And saying that the, Christianity yeah, has been... The guy uh, who wrote Dominion. Yeah, yeah, and that Christianity has had a, a more than a more than more positive than negative effect on yeah, the world. it has. And she was also saying that uh, Christianity is often imagined like water. It finds... If it keeps running, it finds areas that it can influence. But she presents it as, what if Christianity was a clearing in a forest and the forest is paganism trying to take over? It's like dark, wild, vigorous and menacing, <laughs> she described it as. But saying that for 2,000 years, Christian pushed the forest back 
with burning and hacking, but also with pruning and cultivating. So she's saying there were there were bad parts of it. We've we've talked about it a lot before in our evangelism series that of Christianity probably being used for the wrong reasons, but also saying that the pruning and cultivating has been a really important part of mm. of life on earth. Mm. Um, and her idea was, well, if because the article was called "We Are Repaganizing," there's a, she I uses think a lot of. I think that's true. Yeah, uses yeah. a lot of um, examples. I think there's to evidence show that. of that. Yeah, I think it's starting to become even more obvious. Actually, yeah, and yeah. to your point, but then again, we're talking about if we stand strong in that, as you were just saying, stand strong and stop. Don't don't feel like as the water retreats, you follow the water because the tsunami will come back in again. That's another good one. You just stand <laughs> on the beach and you wait for the water to come back. Right. But but the thing about the forest is there are different uh, stances that the church has to culture, and it might actually be good for the next podcast if we look at this in detail, because that yeah co- the opposition or the you know embrace or the uh, yeah there's all sorts of different responses. I think one other thing to think about is that everybody creates cultural goods. Andy Crouch talks about this that. The cultural goods that you make or the artifacts that you make actually influence the culture mm. so he argues that the way to influence culture is to create culture and so the, another way of looking at that analogy about the forest is we plant a garden and the garden is a better alternative to the forest i think that's another way of thinking about it as yeah, well yeah that's helpful i mean uh, i just had a look at the last video the last struggle was all we did on this with Braden, and i said what is there was a question I put in the description. There it was like, "What is church for?" Mm. Um, Tim, do you want to? Have you got Rob Doyle's quote there? Yes, I do. Yep, because I think that might fit into kind of answering that question. Yeah, and it's also a good hark back to something Stu said uh, about ten minutes ago about how uh, we have community because of Jesus, mm. um, and Jesus is what creates community. So Rob's really big on that as well. So I'll read this out. Uh, he says, "The essence of our corporate identity is fellowship." Soteriology, now that's the theology of how we're saved. So the theology of how we're saved is expressed as ecclesiology, the theology of gathering. Uh, So salvation is expressed as gathering, essentially what he's saying. For the foundation of the church is the atonement God himself has made. The church only begins in space and time as a consequence of the person and work of Jesus. So that's what... Stu was saying just before, it's because of Jesus that all of this flows out of. Mm -hmm. He is the one for the many and in the many and therefore churching or meeting together is absolutely necessary for salvation. That's where he does his mic drop. (laughs) Uh, Relationship. Say that again. Churching or meeting together is absolutely necessary for salvation. I'd pause on that one. It's pretty bold. Do you agree with that? Well, let me just finish the quote because you'll go on to explain. Relationships are real insofar as they are expressed. Failure to express a relationship as we have opportunity to do so is to deny it. So what he's saying is uh, Jesus creates, in, in salvation, in the salvation event, Jesus creates the reconciled relationship that we have with himself and the reconciliation of... Reconciliation relationship that we have with other Christians, mm-hmm. and he says both happen in that moment of atonement, um, which is that so there's a, that personal atonement that I need to accept for myself. I can't just be a Christian country. I can't just be a parent. Oh, sorry, a child of a Christian, whatever. Like we do have to take it as personal, 
But in that moment, that reconciling event reconciles me to Christ and to others. And a necessary uh, outworking of that is that I express both of those relationships. And so again, what Rob, I think, is reacting against is this um, late 20th century evangelical doctrine particularly, which has said the first one is primary, the relationship that I have with Jesus, and the second one is a nice bonus if you can be bothered getting around to it. Um, yeah. And then that's crass. But that, that's essentially like he's kind of reacting against that kind of thing where he's saying, no, 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 we never, don't lose the first, the necessary relationship we have with Jesus, but also essential in that atonement act that Christ does is the reconciliation relationship we have with others. And that was also necessary to express. Uh, so that, that's where he's going with that, um, is that we must express both in order to give evidence to the fact that salvation has actually you know, come to this house. I, I am only a bit cautious because I think that I've also seen a corrective to individualism being the new perspective. And Sanders in the new perspective says that we've lost our sense of community so much that people who actually come to the community become Christians through the community. That's being very blunt about it. Other writers like N.T. Wright and others later kind of soften that a bit. Mm. But the idea is if you come to community, then you're a Christian. So what we've got to be really careful of, I think, is that you that real holding together both end rather mm. than either or. Yes. And so we've got to be really careful we don't, again, go too far the other way and throw out the atonement for the individual person because the thief on the cross did not actually express any community. All he did was um, look at the guy on the middle cross and um, he went to be with Jesus in paradise because the guy on the middle cross said he could come. So I think we've got to be really careful that we hold on to that and encourage people to express that as best they can in community. And if you can't express it, that doesn't mean you're not a Christian. Because the danger, I think, is if people uh, hear um, statements like that and they are bedridden in a nursing home and they don't talk to anybody, they're in danger of having their faith undermined by the fact that they can't actually get out of bed and go and be with anyone at church on the weekend. So I think, I think the amazing reality is that Personally, the way I see it is I think the woman at the well is a really good example where Jesus meets her where she's at, he saves her, and then when she realises he's the Messiah, she runs down the street and tells the people who've persecuted her that she's met the Messiah. And I think that's how the second part works. I think the love that we get given by Christ through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit rolls out of us into a reformed life where we love to be with God's people and we love to tell people about it so they can join. However, there's all sorts of crushing events that can happen in our life that mean that church is hard. So people who've been abused in the church will sometimes find going to church almost impossible. That doesn't get in the way of their salvation. It just means that um, we offer them huge amount of grace to say, how can we minister to them even maybe outside of the context of coming to a church service. Uh, with regard to people who can get to church, as Bonhoeffer himself says, if you, if you can't live without the church, there's something wrong. You need, you need to be able to be a self-sustaining Christian. And Bonhoeffer also says, but if you're a self-sustaining Christian who doesn't go to church and can, there's something wrong. Mm, yeah. So he really believes in community, but he, it has its place. It comes second. And I think 
really focusing on Matthew twenty two thirty seven to 40 helps with that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind and love others as yourself. So Doyle's comment about the two being connected I get, but I suppose I just want to again really reinforce our mic drop of my own, which is the primacy of the first commandment. So love God is the most important one first and the second flows from it. So, But if that second one gets cut off by something, then that doesn't put that salvation of the individual in doubt. Yeah. So like the, as we said, the personal faith, becoming a Christian yourself is the first thing, but it, the community is very close second? It's not, it's not even a close... It's, well, the primacy, I suppose you could say the primacy of loving God flows through to uh, living in community that he's also established you in. I think mm-hmm. that's what I'm trying to say. So we are at once saved and established in the community of God's people. And if we refuse to express it, there is something wrong, which I think Doyle's pointing yeah, to. Yeah. I think yep. he's saying yeah. to people who are hyper-individualistic, I'm a Christian, that has nothing to do with my faith. Um, first time I heard that comment, so that, mm. that so right. I'll, I'll, I'll unpack that a bit more later in my own thoughts. But I, I'm still thinking it's really important to emphasise for the point of view of the podcast that we need to love God. Um, Jesus teaches us how to love God. The way he teaches us to love God is that he is God and he is king and he has come to earth to establish the kingdom. We are to repent and believe. That's what he says. That's the foundation. And then once we repent and believe, we are included in the people of God. Now, our ability to express it may be limited by some some factor, but I think the grace of God extends to us if we have a limiting factor like that. So, But I think it's unreal in... Uh, most cases to express being part of the church as much as we can and and hopefully delight in it even though it's not perfect mm. just at the end i asked uh, uh, that question i asked him is that what is church for make that our final question what do you think church is for what is church for uh i think it was philip jensen who said in, in a very important sense church is not for anything um, and what he meant by that is that church itself is not on the way to something else. Church is the something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and That's so, really good. Yeah, so um, he talked about how church is actually the end point. Um, it's the celebration of what Christ has done uh, mm. and it's the coming together and the expression of that. And brings glory. And it brings so, glory, yeah. 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 And uh, it also anticipates the eternal uh, reality. So in new creation, we were all, from all Christians from all time, all history, all place will all be gathered around the throne mm. uh, and we celebrating and worshipping God together for eternity. So both Revelation and also Hebrews, importantly, sort of say that the, the local gathering we have now anticipates that new gathering. Um, but I guess in some sense what you could say is that church is, church is for the expression of the reality that mm. exists. Mm. It, it's yeah. the... Um, it is that I am reconciled to these people who gather here, or at least yeah, many of them, yeah, many of our churches will be mixtures of Christians and not Christians. So there'll be people there who are not yet reconciled to me because they're not yet reconciled to Christ. Um, but to those who are there reconciled to Christ, me coming together and meeting with them, engaging in community with them uh, is an expression of that reality. So, uh, and again, it's not, making that reality it's simply expressing what is already true uh, i am reconciled to these people because we are both 
um, reconciled to Christ. And so therefore, when I come into the room and there are people who are, some are very like me, some are very unlike me, whether it be in social demographic, you know, socioeconomic, racial, age, generation, you know, they could be very different to me in all sorts of ways. Um, but the fact that we can gather together and we can all uh, express worship of God together, that's what church is doing. It's giving um, expression to what is already true. What do you, you think, Stu? <coughs> After you finish your cough. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, so, yeah, I think that's right. I think, I think the, we are part of the Catholic Church, which is the church through time and across the world. So we are part of the church with all the believers that have lived before us, who will live after us and who are alive today. Uh, but it's a good thing for us to also gather in our local church because we can't enact the one another passages in the Catholic Church day to day. I can't be carrying one another's burdens across the world. I mean, you know, electronic stuff and travel helps us with that a bit. But there's we, most of us understand there's no replacement for being there with each other. And in fact, carrying one another's burdens is one of the edicts of the New Testament, that particularly in Galatians chapter 6. And, you know, we're, we're to look after each other. Uh, we're to, if part of the body cries, then the rest of the body cries. You know, that the idea also to celebrate together. We're not only to carry one another's burdens, but the local church gives us an opportunity to build one another up and point each other to Jesus. And I think those things are... Just those two things alone are a really good summary of so much about what local church is really good for. And to be committed to a group of people so those actions and those expressions can happen is a really good thing. Mm. Yes. I also want to just say too, I think it's really important to gather around God's word when we get together mm. and that we pray and that we, uh, yeah, we really listen to him through his word mm. um, is a really important part of local church. Mm. I think that's a really good way to finish. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you, Tim. Thank, thank you, Stu. Yeah, it's been you. fun. It's been heaps fun. It's been a bit more, uh, what's the right word, not uh, theological and really kind of uh, thought-provoking rather than, I mean, we started with rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been a rock and roll podcast. But um, Yeah, that's a very anemic ecclesiology, isn't it? That yeah. film clip of Bon Scott <laughs> <laughs> standing there talking in, in about rock and roll be, be <laughs> being created. Yeah. yeah. And anyway, thank you very much for your time. Thank you to, to everyone who's listening or watching. You can email me about anything we've spoken about on this podcast or previous podcasts at joel at shockersorber.com.au. And thank you again to producer Eck, who always puts our podcast together for us. And as always, we will finish with a one-way one way. way.